And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I briefly discuss our impressions from the Vegas Summer League, go over our thoughts on Joel Embiid's $196 million contract extension, what in the world is going on with the Sixers staff layoffs, then briefly, and I do mean briefly, go over some of the Ben Simmons workout videos that have recently been posted. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Uh, it has a, it has been a minute or two since we have talked. How you doing, Rich? I'm great. I think everybody wants to know how you're doing, though. You know, um, the uh, the old cross country drive. Yeah, it ended up being about 3,600 miles. Uh, it was fantastic. It was something I'm very happy that I did. I'm also tired. A little bit of back pain from sleeping in, in uncomfortable positions. Um, I mean, look, honestly, Utah blew me away. It, it what, do mean, what do you mean uncomfortable positions? Let's start I with sp- that. I spent you're- some nights sleeping in my car uh, because I didn't want to worry about getting a hotel. I just drove until I got tired and then pulled over and stopped. Um, especially once I got east of Denver. Once you get east of Denver, it's very boring. It's very boring of a drive. And I had um, family I wanted to see in southern Illinois. And I had a timeline I want to get back to, and I was behind on my timeline, so I didn't get a chance to really explore any of what would be the interesting spots. So I I spent um, probably about four of those six nights sleeping in the back of my rental car uh, to be more efficient. Uh, so my my back's hurting a little bit because of that. I would imagine um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had I had a pretty good setup. I had a, uh, an SUV rented, and I had plenty of space, but it is not exactly meant for that. But, no, and you're you're not a short guy. I'm either, not a short too. guy. I'm I'm six two. That was maybe not the wisest decision in the world, but uh, it was. I mean, look the the one one other thought. It, it seemed like just from the pictures you were taking, there, there weren't as many. It, it, this goes along with what you were saying from the once you get past Denver. It felt like a lot of Utah, yeah, whatever was before Utah, and then then after that, not as much. Well, part of that is because I wasted. So, not I don't want to say wasted because on the one hand. I spent a lot of time in Utah. I spent probably three days in Utah. On the other hand, I didn't spend nearly enough time in Utah. So I spent a disproportionate amount of time of my trip in Utah, a little bit in Arizona before then, but a lot in Utah. So I I got through to Denver uh, and I was behind schedule. So that's part of the reason why there weren't a whole lot of pictures post Denver. Also, it just got boring pretty quickly. Um, You went from really that like 800 stretch mile stretch from Vegas to Denver was some of the most incredible scenery uh, I had ever ever seen, uh, quite frankly. It was right up there, especially Zion was right up there with the Grand Canyon. Uh, it was really incredible to drive through. And then you went through Route 12 from Zion to Bryce and then from Bryce to Capitol Reef. And every part of that journey was unique and different and, and really breathtaking. Uh, and then you got past Denver and it was just flat farmland. So it um, it changed pretty quickly. 
I think if I you had should to, put that you should put that in your Twitter bio. Not not a Midwest guy. No, well, the Mississippi River, not for me. And again, I have family in that area, uh, and love my family. Do not love that area. Uh, I um, <clears throat> if I uh, if I had to do it over again, um, look, I want to do a cross country drive once. I want to say that I did it. I want to cross it off my bucket list. Um, I ended up doing about thirty six hundred uh, miles in total because I went down to Arizona, then briefly in in California before even getting to Utah. Uh, I didn't spend too much time in Arizona because I had been there before. So I really wanted to focus on Utah and Zion and the other national parks that Utah had to offer. Um, but I did about 3,600 miles driving. Uh, and truthfully, the drive wasn't all that taxing. Uh, if I had a reason to do another cross-country drive, I certainly wasn't, wouldn't hesitate to do so. Um, but if I were planning next year's trip or a future trip, I'd really just allocate my time differently and just rent a car, you know, spend a week exploring Utah, spend more time at Zion, ex- explore more of the surrounding area, uh, spend more time in Capitol Reef because I mostly just drove through that. I'd, lo- I'd love to knock uh, Havasu Falls off of my bucket list, uh, but then I'd explore Utah flat and fly back rather than drive all the way across country um, because even though half of my trip was dedicated to Utah, you know, I certainly came away feeling like I had barely even scratched the surface of what it had to offer. Um, it's, a, it's a magnificent area, it truly truly is. Uh, if you have even a passing interest in nature or hiking or photography, it's a, it's an absolute dream. It really is just marvelous, marvelously diverse. Uh, I'm glad I got to see Zion. I'm glad I got to hike Angel's Landing. That's something I'll never forget. But there's just so much more I didn't get a chance to experience. Um, you know, I will probably try to make that uh, running a car and exploring. Maybe it might be Eastern California, maybe it might be Utah, maybe it might be northern um, northern Arizona, but I'll try to make that a part of my Vegas trip for as long as I'm lucky enough to cover the league. It's perfect time for us in this field to take a vacation because that's really where the offseason starts in earnest. It is uh, it, something I will always have an interest in doing. Um, really, I just, I just cut some of the drive off so I can refocus some of that time. Um, but other than that, it was truly fantastic. It really was. Well, now you know. Yeah, I mean, that's... That does sound like a you thing too. Get the get the drone out there. Get the, uh, you know, the mountains and the canyons and all of the, yep. that good stuff. So truthfully, yeah. didn't even really spend enough time with the drone. Um, I spent a lot of time exploring the national parks, um, probably more than I expected that I would. And again, I still came walking away thinking I didn't spend nearly enough time in those national parks. So it's a good trip. I I, I truly do. And I, look, I'm someone who uh, I'd been to Utah once when I made that drive from Salt Lake City to Denver. Only time I'd ever been to Utah, and that was the northern part of Utah. I really, like, I look at all these, and there's, like, four national parks right in a row in that path. And I look at them, and, yeah, they're national parks. I'm sure they're pretty. I'm sure they're nice. I'm sure they're impressive. But, like, you just see them on on pictures. Seeing them in person was, it was, I highly recommend it. If you have any kind of an affinity for being outside in nature and and landscape, uh, I highly recommend it for sure. It sounds like a good antidote to summer league too. You know, you get the the stench of four days in Vegas, five days in Vegas, however long you were there, and then yeah. you just you know you you wash it all off with Mother yep. Nature and yep. and all that good stuff. Uh, the one thing I would change is that I wouldn't do it in August per se. Uh, okay. It seems yeah. like a great <laughs> April or maybe September October kind of activity, but I I do not schedule. Uh, Adam Silver is not going to take my suggestions in on scheduling the summer league. So I have to make do with what I have. Um, but yeah, definitely if you're into it, go check it out. And uh, that's probably about 
all that we will do. Uh, we're five minutes in this podcast. We haven't t- talked about basketball yet. So we will move on to that. But if you want, if you're interested, go check out my Twitter. I posted a lot of a lot of the pictures. I'll probably post a, a video or two from the drone. Fun times for sure. Glad I did it. Sixers. You have staff layoffs. You have Embiid Supermax. You have Summer League. And you have Ben Simmons videos. Which That's what I mean. Like you, you, go, you go on vacation for one week in the middle of August driving across country. And I mean, it, it never stops. I mean, look, was I worried about that Ben Simmons trade happening? Yes. I was freaking terrified. I really thought or I hoped when the offseason began, all of this stuff would be taken care of. Because again, this, this summer league is after free agency, after the draft. So I was hoping I could rest easy on that trip. Um you had some stuff like this. The Embiid Supermax is a bit of news, but quite frankly, it's a bit of news that we had largely it was covered. expected. Yeah. It, was, it was expected. We'd covered sort of the details of that a month and a half ago. Um, so I am glad uh, from a sh- selfishly me perspective that Sim- the Simmons trade didn't happen then because that would have been, I mean, the only thing better than sleeping in the back of your car is pulling over with your laptop in the back of the car in the middle of the Rocky Mountains when you barely have reception. So that would have been fun to navigate, but that didn't happen. But seemingly everything else did. So yeah, where, where so, are we starting so off? Let's start with Embiid. All right. Four-year, $196 million extension. That is an estimate because it, the final numbers aren't truly known until uh, that extension starts. Uh, so that he still has two years left on his current deal. That will be for the 21-22 and 22-23 season. So that extension will kick off in the 2023-2024 season. It'll take him until he's, what, 32? 32 33? or 33, I yeah, think. Yeah, somewhere in that range and pay him north of $50 million towards the end. Do you have any reservations about giving him that kind of money? Well, I think when you make a financial commitment of that length and of that many dollars, there is always a uh, a level of reservation that you have. I mean, there's just no way. You, you talked about it. Four years, $196 million. I know the cap is going up. That is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I think for the most part, it was big news. But like we said earlier, it was expected. And I think, you know, with Embiid negotiating on his own behalf, I think he, uh, Bernie Lee gave him a little bit of help. But I think, uh, you know, with him negotiating on his own behalf, I think the Sixers, there was a few, there were a few days there where they were hoping to get maybe not have that player option at the end of it to not have it just be straight and without the injury protections that they had last time. I think they, they probably asked for that to begin with. And I think Joel Embiid said, no, I, uh, I deserve to have this, the whole thing. I deserve the player option. And he won out because guess what? He's one of the 10 best players in the NBA. And when one of the 10 best players in the NBA asks you for this stuff, you give it to him. You, you just do. And it's, I, I understand with his injuries, and it's it's a scary commitment. But from the Sixers' standpoint, unless they have some sort of medical diagnosis that says he's going to break down literally like next year or the year after, you got to do it. That, 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 that is my full analysis of this. You got to do it. Yeah. And there have been, I think, two sort of pushbacks that fans and even some media members have had to the contract. One is the injury concerns. Okay. Like we all understand the injury risk. Nobody Absolutely. is oblivious to that. Uh, but you can't like no superstar in his prime 
who is playing at a superstar level, do you let walk because he might get injured in the future? That's just not, you can't, the biggest risk isn't Joel Embiid getting injured. The biggest risk is not having Joel Embiid. So you can't let him reach uh, free agency without this contract in place. Uh, the injury ri- risk is going to be there, but it's it's just one. You, sometimes you have to live with some level of comfort with risk. This is one where you have to. Am I telling you he is going to be in, injury free in 2027? No, I look again. We all understand the risks. The big biggest risk is letting him walk. You just it, these types of players are just too hard to get. You can't do it. If you had any sort of plan moving forward that had Joel Embiid at the the middle of it, if you, you know, as, as an organization, you say, we want to move forward with Joel Embiid as our star player, which, spoiler alert, the Sixers do, that, then you do have to give it to him. And it's, you know, it, it's one of those funny things where the injury concern with him is greater than other players, I would say, just because of the, you know, the two surgeries on his foot to start his career. All of the knee injuries, the which, meniscus. Which, by the way, of all the injury concerns we'll talk about, that's the one that's farthest away from our mind because he just hasn't, knock on wood, he, there has been no uh, no flare-up. No flare-up, like a, something of flare-up. There has been no <laughs> recurrence of the uh, of the foot injury. Yeah, and it's he's in this weird stage where he's avoided since, let's say, his first year because he did tear his meniscus that first year. But again, torn meniscus is something you can come back from. It's, you know, he came back from it. Right now, he didn't even need surgery this time around. Uh, I think he's in this weird stage where, no, he has not had the dramatic injury. Yeah, yeah, he gets dinged up a lot. Every year, sure. <laughs> he gets dinged up every game, for the most part, with some injury or another. And he obviously had the scary injury this year. But since that first year, he has really avoided the, the truly catastrophic sure. one. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And you're not, again, you're not going to let an MVP caliber player walk because he only plays 60 to 65 games a year. That's just not a rational decision. So look, the injury concerns, both in terms of minor nicks and bruises throughout the season, both in terms of of being healthy for the playoffs and also for the risk of catastrophic, it's all still there. It's just a risk you have to live with. That was never them not extending him because of those concerns was never realistic. The other one I hear is, well, he's never gotten out of the second round of the playoffs. It gets okay. harder for him in the playoffs. He doesn't, you know, he's he's not built to succeed in the playoffs. Build a real team around him. Yeah, exactly. Like there was a point in time where LeBron hadn't won in the playoffs until he couldn't lose in the playoffs, where Dirk's style of play couldn't win in the playoffs. Like this is something where winning early in your career is tough, in part because it is tough to learn how to be that championship caliber player, in part because it's also tough to get the uh, right pieces around all superstars need help and all superstars need supporting pieces around them to complement them. 
that's especially true true in the case of a player like Joel Embiid, who is a post scorer in a league where it's really tough to be a post scorer in, uh, and 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 who needs perimeter help to be successful on a team level the way that we want him to. Uh, they have almost not only just ignored, but almost gone in the exact opposite direction of how you would build a team to succeed around a post player in the playoffs with how they have invested their resources up to this point. Like you said, build a real team around him where Tobias Harris isn't your best perimeter scorer, where you have a point guard who can and is willing to shoot and run a pick and roll, um, where you can actually accentuate Joel Embiid's strengths. Look, is it tougher for him in the playoffs? Absolutely. And this is something we've been saying for a while now, post-scoring is going to get tougher and tougher, tougher. The further you get into the postseason, you need something to help counteract that. You need a legitimate perimeter top scoring option uh, to build around him. The fact that he hasn't won yet does not mean you should move on from him. It means you should find the pieces that he needs around him to win at that high of a level. You can't start the, I, I didn't even mean it this way, but you can't start the process over by saying, oh, well, that's too big of money for a guy who's never gotten out of the second round. Okay, well, put the pieces around him to get out of the second round. Yeah. He, uh, did you see, so I, I don't know if this was last week or the Vegas week, but Seth Partnow at the, at the athletic, he, uh, he ranked all the players in the NBA, which by the way, seems like the most thankless task in the world, just sure. because people are chirping him on Twitter the rest of the Everyone's week. Everyone's going to be pissed off. Yep. I thought he had it right. I thought he had Embiid eight to 10, by the way, eight, when he says, when I say eight to 10, I believe the players he was in a tier with were. Anthony Davis and somebody else who I'm forgetting, but like ahead of guys like Dame and just, I mean, being the eighth best player in the NBA or ninth, whatever, whatever Seth had him at, at this like level with the, with the way the NBA is, there's a lot of talent in the league right now. You don't get the fourth best player by letting him walk in free agency. No. So no. if you have a top 10 player, you, you give him money. That's just, it's just the way the, the, the league is. Would it be nice if he has established himself into that top five category? Because I think we agree being in the top five is th there's a pretty big drop off between that and 10. Probably, you know, it just keeps going incrementally less. The, the difference between the 20th and 25th players, nothing like five and 10. But I, I do think Joe has shown that he has the talent to break into that top five. He's just got to stay healthy and do it in the playoffs. Yeah. And he's clearly done that at points. The reason why he's not top five right now is probably much more to the team success in the playoffs. than it was how he played last yeah. season. He is capable of playing at that level. It does get tougher for a post player in the playoffs. It does get tougher for a rim protector in the playoffs. That's why you need more talent around him. Again, don't judge Joel Embiid. I mean, I don't want to say don't judge, but like, don't act like this is the most team success a Joel Embiid team can ever have when Tobias Harris is his best freaking perimeter score. You don't use that line of reasoning to let the best player of the last 40 years in your franchise, and yes, I'm including Allen Iverson in that group, I know that's contentious, walk. You just don't do it. You just don't do it. Well, so, so the other thing I was thinking too is that, okay, yeah, the injuries are a concern moving forward. But the other reason why these supermaxes are, you know, controversial and scary to give out a lot of times is how the player will age. Sure. And I think, you know, the injuries obviously go hand in hand with that. But if you remove the injuries, I think Joel Embiid is going to age really well. I Like, when I think of a player who doesn't 
age the right way. And, and by the way, the aging curve is different now. You see guys like Kyle Lowry, 35 years old, getting $30 million a year for three years. Uh, that's, that's probably another conversation. But, but just to say, like, types of contracts we haven't seen for, for a while are, are being handed out. Um, he's not that reliant on his athleticism. No. I mean, all NBA, all NBA players are reliant on their athleticism, but he is not this nuclear athlete that is just Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook, outquicking people to the basket. Uh, he's not getting any smaller out no. of the ring, like no, this contract. And, here, and here's the other one. He's not getting any less skilled either. And that's, no. it, it really made me think about like what, what, where his game is and what he could be moving forward. And I think when you, when you look at why he was so much better this year, he just honed his offensive skill level to sure. a, a level where, okay, when you combine that with just the, the sheer size and strength that he has, all right, like that's, it's a fairly unstoppable thing. Yeah. No, if you have concerns over him aging, it's, well, A, the catastrophic injury, and, and B, the accumulation of injury and, and what that does to his athleticism. But if you have concerns over the athleticism drop in the future, it's much more defense. It's much more how well he can move and defend in space, which does come into factor, come into play in the playoffs quite a bit. But in terms of his offensive productivity, uh, he should age pretty well for sure. And I would say with the defensive aspect of it, you know, I'm not going to compare him to the the greatest power forward of all time, as they say about Tim Duncan. But like Tim Duncan into his 30s was a super smart team defender who yep. remained extremely effective. And I don't think, yeah, okay, Joe's not going to be uh, at 33. He's probably not going to be chasing down people in the open court and uh, and blocking shots. And he's probably not going to be the greatest switch defender in the world. But I think that's the other underrated thing about Joe is that he's so smart, man. Yep. <laughs> He's just such an intelligent basketball player and knows angles and tendencies and all of these things. Uh, Especially and, defensively. Like There might have been a point yeah. where we were frustrated that maybe the reading of the double teams didn't come quick enough. Maybe some of the shot selection didn't come quick enough. But defensively, he was a very smart basketball player and uh, top tier in terms of, of smart basketball player right from the jump. Uh, so yeah, that, that will help him age as well. Um, there's one other thing I had to say about Embiid. Ba, ba, ba. Blanking. Nope. I guess it wasn't that important. Nothing. I guess it wasn't that important. No, him, I definitely, him, I definitely had him repping himself was pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it, it makes sense when you get in the super max tier. Uh, it it would yeah. be. I think for the next contract, that's when you would want an uh, a true agent again, uh, because that will be take a little bit more negotiation. But right What's now that? you need a you need a three, marketing three or four percent, you know. Yeah, it, it gets cut, to be a lot of money. Cut that off that money. supermax. Hey, give give me the supermax Sixers. Yes, yeah, eventually yeah. was the answer. Um, right now he needs a marketing team and and someone to look over the contract. Uh, in a couple of years he will need he will need more than that. I guess the other thing I would say about the supermax is, you know, when the NBA negotiated the supermax into uh, the collecting bargaining agreement, this was a major chip. The sort of like a counterweight teams had against sort of like the player empowerment era and player movement, because one of the key aspects of the supermax is that can only be offered by the team who drafted you mm -hmm. unless you were traded in the first four years. But so basically if you are on your second contract and you force your way off a team, let's say you're unhappy with the direction of the team or you want to go to a contender. Well, if you do that, then you're not eligible for the supermax. It can only be given to you by the team that drafted you. So 
now the Sixers, and look, I'm, I, I want to really preface this by saying that under no world am I saying that Joel Embiid is not happy, is unhappy with the Sixers, or is considering playing basketball anywhere else. But when you just start sort of look at it in terms of the natural leverage that players have, well, the Sixers now have a much higher urgency to win because just because he signed that Supermax, just because he has six more years under his contract, you're seeing it now more and more and more. Players with three years, four years left under contract can work their way out. There is a a real burden, uh, not burden, but there is a real pressure on the Sixers to win because an unhappy superstar always has leverage. Uh, and, and in order to be happy, superstars really do have to compete. They want, especially someone like Embiid, who now has been in the league, is established, start getting later into his career, a, a length that you just don't know how long it's going to be. Daryl Morey is going to be very, feel a lot of pressure to put a title contending team around Joel Embiid. You could start seeing some moves where it's like, all right, we've, we've, we've got to get talent to win um, because there is a, cl- a clock. Um, again, not that Joel Embiid is necessarily setting that clock. It's just a natural clock of an NBA player life cycle. But the Sixers always had this supermax in their back pocket because of the rules. Well, now they don't have that. So there is more pressure than even before to build a win around Embiid. Yeah, they're under a win now mandate just because you don't know how long his prime is going to be. Uh, yeah, I think he has mentioned before that he wants to keep playing for a long time, longer than uh, the length of this contract for sure. And uh, I'm sure the Sixers hope that too, where they they're forced to uh, forced to make a decision on him again when he opts out of his player con- uh, option because he's been so good in uh, what is that 25, 26, whatever that is, or 26, 27. Sure. Yeah, six more years. Uh, yeah. So, and I think the the good news for them is that you know sometimes there are market factors that play a part in driving a a player out, and for now. They do not seem to have that problem. So now they just have to do the the normal build a winner part of it. Yep. And uh, they got some work to do for sure. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll save the annoying stuff for last. Summer League, I guess overall impressions. And look, we'll keep this to the players who have a realistic chance of playing uh, for the Sixers this coming season. Tyrese Maxey. Jaden Springer, Isaiah Joe, B-Ball Paul. I'm sure a lot of people like to talk about a lot of other people in that group. Um, go listen to Mike Levin. I'm sure he probably talked for about three hours on him. But we will focus on the four that could actually have a chance to play. What were your overall impressions of them? Is there anyone you thought you have a, you, you would say has a higher chance of being a contributor this year than you thought? Anyone who has a lower chance of contributing? Uh... I think uh, when you frame it that way in terms of like who surprised me the most, who changed my opinion the most, this isn't to say they were the best player because I'll just get it out of the way. The best player was Tyrese Maxey. He was the definition of too good for summer league. Look, I would have loved for him to keep playing and go for the, uh, the title, but he legitimately did not need to be there. (laughs) He was, (laughs) and again, he did he never got a chance to play in the summer league. The year before, because he yep. was in this uh, this crazy off season last year, but you could just see uh, Tyrese Maxey. I'm sure wasn't the best player. Like w- when you look in five years, some of those rookies are going to be better than him. You know, the sure. Second year players have a pretty big Cade, advantage here. Yeah, Cade Cunningham, uh, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, all these guys. They they think they look like they have a 
chance to be maybe franchise-level players. But having that first year under your belt, and in Maxie's case, having the actual experience of winning a freaking playoff game, I mean, it just, that game must seem like a joke to him. But to, to get to your point on, uh, on who surprised me the most, I, I thought Isaiah Joe was pretty good. I first off, I, I've always kind of liked Isaiah Joe. I've always thought, you know, when you see these kind of movement shooters, they get paid a lot of money. By the way, you know, you look at the Duncan Robinsons, the the Joe Harrises of the world. If you become elite at that, the the JJ Reddicks of the world with the Sixers before. If you become elite at that and and have to be a guy that the other team is just horrified about. You're shooting. You get paid a lot of money, uh, yep. and you know they. You can obviously plug those guys on on pretty much any team. Now Isaiah Joe is not that level of shooter, but I, I just think like his ability to to get off shots in you know a bunch of different ways. I thought he the, the most impressive thing he did to me. He did some good work off the bounce. I thought in yep. uh, in running some pick and rolls. He had that one unbelievable pass. What was that like? A behind-the-back pass through the uh, defender's legs. I had no idea he had that in uh, in his bag. He obviously got injured at the end of the uh, of the summer league, but I, I don't know. I was impressed by him. He had. I remember in that first game when they played the. I guess it was against the Mavericks when they won by like 800 points. He started the game off with just a really clean step back three move. He. Uh, I don't know. I, I just thought Isaiah Joe. He was somebody who I. You know, you look at all of the guards and smaller wings on the Sixers team, and you still look at it now and say, that's a lot of guys for, for bench spots now. You know, you got your Cork, you got your Matisse, you got your Shake, you got your Maxi, you got all these guys. I mean, I'm not sure Isaiah Joe is going to crack that rotation, but I, I'm not sure he's not either. You know, I think on a team that maybe I gave him more opportunity. certainly a, a chance that... Cork goes through a month stretch where he just can't shoot the ball and they give Joe a shot. I think yeah. that could happen. Well, I think he also is... And injuries and whatnot, yeah. And and the other thing I would say about him, too, is... Uh, and we, we mentioned this a little bit during last year. Don't think he's the greatest one-on-one defender in the world, in part just because he's so skinny. He's so unbelievably skinny. So. But I think he's got, like, decent help instincts, and you could plug him into a scheme... Especially you plug him in with Embiid, he can provide the shooting, and Embiid, he's a smart enough player to get the uh, the most out of his physical tools if he has, you know, an Embiid, a Matisse, some of these other guys who can uh, who can really take on the tougher assignments. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. 
We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And I do think he moves his feet decently well. Uh, It's just the fact that he is, I mean, you really were hoping that he would go into the offseason. Look, the offseason is only half over. Like, we're in the midway point of the offseason. He hoped he would have added a little bit of bulk to his frame. And I'm not, yeah, (laughs) if he did it, like, I I joked with someone with the Sixers. I'm like, hey, it looks like Isaiah Joe might have added a pound or two. And then I followed (laughs) up with, but I mean, like, a literal pound or two. Uh, you, You needed, you needed more from him. And that's a that's a concern, but he's got the wingspan. He moves his feet decently well. If he can ever add a little bit of bulk, he can at least, I think, be a pass. I think he has more defensive upside than Korkmaz does, but um, it's a concern. But yeah, no, he, he, he made some plays with the ball in his hands, shot 10 threes a game, made them, a lot of them tough, quick trigger shots. We know he can do that. Desperately need. Uh, if he can defend at a passable level, not be a complete. And look, I don't think you're ever going to give the ball to him and be like, all right, initiate our offense. Like, that's not really what he's going to do. But you're just always looking for those guys who make decent decisions with the ball if they ever have a closeout or a third or fourth pass in a possession um, to take advantage of. And I thought he did a decent job of that. He's He's got to get bigger, though. He's definitely got to get bigger. Uh, yeah, no, he was up there. I, I mean, Paul Reed obviously had a... Uh, you know, great statistical summer league, 17.4 points, 12 rebounds, 1.6 steals, 2.6 blocks. Very active, probably tried to do a little bit too much at times. And I think that's going to be one of the real, uh, I think, I think Paul Reed might frustrate doc at times, but I do think he has enough physical abilities, uh, enough energy that I, especially with the roster construction, I think he needs to get back up five minutes I think if I had to guess, they're probably going to use him more as a backup four, which I don't agree with at all. Uh, I don't have confidence in Doc using him in his right role, which to me is, I think, as a small ball stretch five. And I think I think B. Wall Paul is probably going to frustrate him because I do think the decision making, I do think the playing within his role, uh, I think might be a challenge at times. But I think you've got to at least try it out. Proof of concept, see if it's there, because I think he showed enough talent-wise Um both in his his last season and in summer league. Or look, is it ever really pretty? No, not really. But there's enough productivity, enough activity that see if it translates. I think you have to. I think you have to. Completely agree with everything you said. I'm not sure you saw this live, but you, you might have been in Utah, you know, actually like, you know, having a good time outside and uh, I didn't see much of this. I, I was only there for one Sixers game. I was only there for the first Sixers game um, before I left. And that one, I didn't spend a whole lot of time watching because uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit, you don't actually go to summer league to watch much summer league. No, uh, but he got, he got interviewed. I believe it was the game that was the only the second 2020 game in the history of summer league. I, I, I think I have that right. I'm not going to go back and look it up, but it was, <laughs> it was the second time somebody has ever done something positive in summer league, which I got to say, like, that's, that's fairly uh, impressive. And during the 
halftime of that game, the sideline reporter was like, what did you have for breakfast this morning? And Did he answer you know, that's like literally? Yeah, well, he said, I, I went to Denny's. Uh, you know, I, he might have had like a Grand Slam breakfast or something like that. But he said, yeah, I had some Denny's this morning and uh, some, some good advertising for, uh, for Denny's. There. I mean, that is just like, as somebody who has, who has done a story on Paul Reed, that is, that is the classic b-ball Paul, just like very funny, just, uh, <laughs> yeah, just kind of like a no-nonsense, get-to-the-point guy, but also somebody who <laughs> seems to enjoy himself, you know, as he is uh, as he's putting up these massive numbers. I don't think that was a surprise to me at all. The, the yeah. idea that he can put up, you know, these just huge stat lines against G League slash Summer League competition, that's done. We like you put him in that environment for the rest of his career. He's going to go crazy in terms of the uh, the numbers he puts up. Yeah. Now we'll see if he can do that in a system. And I do think he, some of the energy that he plays with can become a little can become sort of yeah. like his own worst enemy. Where he might like some of the the drives he was trying to do, some of the dribbles. Like Paul Reach never dribbled the ball seven times in possession. We saw that a couple times there in Vegas, uh, and I think that kind of stuff. It, it's a lot of the same energy level that brings out a lot of his good qualities, but he's got to rein that in as well. And we will see if he can do that. Well, and it's, he provided a good contrast with Isaiah Joe because Isaiah Joe, we talked about, you know, they put him in pick and roll. Sometimes some of that was out of necessity because Maxi left after the, uh, after the second game, but summer league for him, part of it is just like taking him out of his comfort zone and seeing what else he can do, you know? Yeah. And if he screws yep. up, who cares? Because it's summer league and, at least you tried and you know, it's a good it's a good place to learn something about your players without actually suffering the consequences of like losing games that matter. Sure. Uh, for Paul Reed, he's in a different spot though. He's we we know that when he is given free reign and a huge part of the offense, he's gonna put up these gigantic numbers. The problem is he's not good enough to do that at the NBA right. level. Like he's not gonna right. be a number one option in the NBA. So for him, it's almost like you, you know he's going to put up these huge point, rebound, block, steal. He does everything. These numbers. You want to see him like do small stuff because yep. that's what's going to be required of him as a backup center. You know, is he is he getting the ball side to side quickly, uh, yep. keeping the offense moving? Is he staying in a decent enough stance and not getting beat defensively and in pick and roll coverages? Little things like that are going to determine whether he plays or not. And when you talk about him potentially driving Doc crazy, which, by the way, I think he, he sneaky probably did drive him a little bit crazy last year. And I think to the point where Doc was like, we're not even thinking about putting him in the rotation when he probably should have put a little more thought into that. Yeah. Um, so th those are the things he needs to get better at. They really need to give him a shot at five. I completely agree with you, too. As a four, he's like, you know, he's a decent shooter, but it's, it's, it's like good the, enough. It's almost the Al Hor it's the Al Horford thing. Yeah. Al Horford picking and popping at the five, that's a tough thing to guard. You know, a center, you know, Embiid running out to try and contest that B ball Paul shot. He can he can pump fake and put it on the floor and beat a lot of traditional centers in the NBA. When that turns into a four spot up shooting, kind of on the wing, it's just, it's yeah. it's a completely different thing. You know, if he's if Paul Reed in past years is playing the the Al Horford when when Ben Simmons is the, the only one of the two Sixers all-stars in the game playing that trail five position. I think he would be pretty good at that. Uh, I, I am not as interested in him playing the four. Um, 
you know, and it, part of it is how he holds up defensively. You need to build a scheme probably differently than you do for an Embiid or an Andre Drummond. That's uh, that's for sure. But you know, I know a lot of Sixers fans are uh, are a little skeptical of of Doc giving him a chance this season. They they better give him a chance because it was a big reason why. It, look, Ben Simmons was the biggest reason they lost to the Hawks last year, but part of the reason was they didn't have another way to play. And yep. I think with Paul Reed, you at least have the pathway of another way to play sometimes. So sure. give it a give it a shot. If you lose a game or two, it's fine. Give it an actual chance. And also, it's not like you have a a backup five who has Paul Reed's skill set and has experience. You didn't you didn't prioritize no. getting that. So yeah, I agree. Give you, see what you have. Just early in the season, see what you have. Uh, I mean, Maxi. I don't really know how much we have to really talk about him. He was, like you said, too good for summer league. The what you're looking for is that pull up three off the dribble, uh, and he tried. Uh, I think he shot 14 threes in two games. Shot four for 14. Uh, a couple of them looked comfortable. I, I looked more comfortable than he did 12 months ago, at least. Uh, so I think that is good progress. That will be to steal a Rich Hoffman a swing skill. Uh, other than that, he looked pretty good at almost everything. Uh, he's a real good player. He's a real good young player and he's really what the Sixers need. I think a lot of people are going to be wondering whether or not he could crack the rotation or the starting lineup, even if they don't make a trade. I think Doc probably comes back and, and runs back the same starting five if Ben Simmons is still on the roster when the season starts, but he will have plenty of minutes as a six man. I don't worry about that at all. I, I certainly don't think Doc is going to, as much as Paul Reed might drive him crazy, I think Maxie has graduated out of the you know, Doc will punish you from for being a young player who makes a stupid mistake. Yeah, he should he should be in a rotation right from the jump and be the, a consistent part of the rotation. The one thing I thought was a little, I, you know, his his kick, like his the, the kicks he has on his jumper, like his feet sometimes are all over the place. Yeah, on those uh, on those pull up threes, but that's a that's a critical shot. And you know, despite having the uh, the weird kick, that that's. I would say, you know, it happens, a lot of it happens after he releases the ball. So I'm not like as concerned about it. I'm not as concerned about it as, uh, as, you know, like Ben Simmons jumping on the shooting on the way down or, you know, having his, his elbow in a weird spot, but it it is noticeable and probably something worth, uh, worth mentioning. But yeah, I I think he has a really good chance to be six man. And I mean, like a clear six man too. Maxi is clearly shooting with the right hand, so that is a start. That is a start. Um, and in Springer, I think you know, I thought his, his defense tracked real well. Uh, came out, fought through screens real well. Uh, played real good man to man defense. I thought his, his defense is playable right from the jump. First four games, he really struggled offensively. Um, really, really looked like he is just not quite ready to really contribute uh, uh, at all. Um, the jumper didn't look good. Uh, he was was way short on a lot of those jumpers way Um, short they had him playing a lot of off ball he didn't look fully comfortable even when he did have the ball he didn't look like uh, he was getting to his spots quite as easily i think there's going to be an adjustment period there for him especially as we wait for that jumper to uh to extend um he did have a a nice final game Uh, i think he showed some of his potential down the line but i think his offense might keep him out of the rotation at the start of his nba career but his, his defense looks very legitimate for sure not the most advanced handle in the world from what no. I saw in uh, no. in Vegas. Maybe it was a little bit better at Tennessee, although that's something that I think you, you can kind of watch and, and see where he's at. Certainly not not getting the separation against uh, against NBA players. Yeah, definitely some good moments defensively, some good 
off-ball cutting, I, I would just say uh, he should probably get some easy pass, though, for, for this year because I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be in Delaware a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think, like you said, the combination of not having a reliable shot, which isn't going to give him easy closeouts to attack, and not also having the greatest handle or really the greatest burst with his first step, he's going to have to, uh, I think there's going to be an adjustment period for him Against NBA defenses, I think he's going to spend a lot of time in the G League. And quite frankly, the Sixers have enough depth right now where they don't need him day one. Uh, it'll be I mean. great. It would be great to have him like that on ball defense. You could certainly use, but you're not going to do that if you're putting another zero offensively out on the court. And I think the uh, I think the early part of his NBA career is going to be tough offensively for sure, for sure. And and we just talked about it with Joe. He, uh, you know, somebody who who looks like you know he's probably three or four years older than the Jane Springer and has shown that he has the three point shot, which is a critical skill for this team and just looks a lot closer to contributing. He's going to have a tough time cracking the rotation. So yep. yeah, I, J- Jane Springer is going to, going to take a little while for a bunch of different reasons, I think. All right. So staff changes. There were Keith Pompey originally reported up to 17, which is an interesting way of phrasing that up to, uh, I think it, Tom West then of Liberty Ballers said it was less than 17, but a number of staff changes. I think probably the most notable uh, from fans' perspective. First of all, Scott Rigo, um, and then also uh, the the GM of the G League, Matt Lilly, uh, and then also a bunch of changes to the scouting department. Originally, it was reported as a cost-cutting measure. There has been some pushback to that. I think the most interesting one of this is also the least relevant in terms of Scott Rigo, the equipment manager. Scott is someone who, if you have covered the team, then you have talked to Scott. And if you have talked to Scott, then you like Scott. He's been with the team for 34 years in various capacities. Uh, pretty much the only job he's ever had. He came out, I think, right out of school. And just a really great guy. It really surprised me to see him not be brought back. I don't know the full story of that. It's hard for me to believe that he did something really wrong, per se. Um, I That one flummoxes me a little bit. The rest of it, you know, I think when Daryl Morey comes in, and he came in the way he did, um, you know, last, last fall, pretty much right before the draft, you knew they weren't going to make any changes to the front office, to the scouting staff. In the literal, like, days before the draft, it made sense for Daryl to give the Staff that he was inheriting, some time to sort of showcase themselves and to make evaluations of them rather than making wholesale changes right from the jump. It also makes... Look, here's what I'll say. First of all, I don't think it's a pure cost-cutting move. Um, I don't... Like, the Sixers... And look, I'm not... I don't want to, like, really be pro-ownership because I think they make a lot of mistakes. But I don't think ownership is going to spend a combined $23 million on Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey and then be like... Well, we can't afford Matt Lilly. I like I just don't think that's going to be their mindset to this. I think Josh Harris, say what you want about him, is smart enough to know that if he has a good, well-functioning scouting staff, he will make a return on that investment by a significant margin. Like you need that to be a good team. If you're a good team, his uh his franchise will make more money. I don't think they're going to cheap out on Matt Lilly's contract. Might there be some instances where maybe they think, "All right, well this guy's maybe been team long enough and maybe he's uh, sort of like Peter principled where he's, he's been promoted so much and making so much that he's not worth that, that money. Maybe you could be upgraded for cheaper. Maybe, maybe there might be an instance or two of that, but I think by and large, I don't think they're going to be like, well, we're spending too much on scouting 
let's cut the scouting department in half. I, and look, if that ends up being the case, I will, I will rip Josh Harris as much as it needs to happen. I just don't think that's what's going on here. I think this is much more Daryl Morey getting a chance to evaluate his scouting staff, make changes he thinks are going to help the team. Uh, I don't think you're looking at it like, we're going to slash the scouting department. I just don't, I think everyone involved is smart enough not to do that. Yeah. I, well, and, and the other thing too is, you know, a lot of these, like, you're going to need an equipment manager next right. season. Like, is a. Uh, and again, and, maybe Scott, and I'm just speculating here. Nobody's told me what happened with Scott, but maybe Scott's been with the team so long and got, you know, raises, and maybe they think, well, he's making 50% more than a typical equipment manager. Maybe that's why. That's, again, just speculation. I could see that being within the realm of possibility. What I can't see being within within the realm of possibility is Josh Harris saying, like, gosh, we're spending so much money on scouting. Let's cut this in half. I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, and I think in fairness to them, in terms of their operations staff, they have they, they might have the biggest operations staff in the league. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, but, like, just, just please, like, take a look at the, the front office directory. For some other teams, it's not as long as the no. Sixers is. Under, under Colangelo and under even after that with Elton Brand, um, a lot of that driven by Alex Rucker, they expanded the size of their basketball operations significantly. And again, I just, I feel almost awkward sticking up for Josh Harris here. But, but look, and we'll see. We'll, we'll see. You know, they, they have said that they will announce what their uh, their changes are. I, I think it is wor- uh, noteworthy that, you know, despite the fact that it it makes complete sense that Daryl Morey would want to bring in his people because that's what literally every new GM does, and that last year provided a unique set of circumstances where it made sense to maybe, all right, let's you know we we can't have too much change in the middle of a pandemic in the shortest off season ever. Let's let's see what's happening. But it is noteworthy to, to say that. While they didn't cut the top of their uh, scouting staff, yep, they've done a decent job in the draft over the past well, three years. Yeah, no, that that was sort of where my my I was going to eventually is that I don't really have a concern that Josh Harris is going to say like ah scouting overrated, let's cut it. My concern is that you're taking an organization or a part of the organization that was the strongest and you're making changes to it. Now look, they but look they, they know. You don't, they know who was responsible for those right. picks and what the processes what are. And There's so many people things. involved in that. You don't know whose opinion. You, like we look at it and we say the scouting department did well. They drafted well. We don't know what everyone's opinion was. We don't know how hard they worked. We don't know the methodology they used to arrive at those opinions. Um, just because the department did well does not mean you can't change the department. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is some one instance where, first of all, I, I, I just I, I don't think it is Josh Harris cutting costs. But also, like, I, this is one instance where I have to give Daryl Morey a little bit of leeway just because we don't know each individual member of that scouting staff, what they were responsible for, and uh, which ones were pulling their weight and really responsible for the decisions that, that we see as an end result. So, yeah. If, if they do not have a scouting staff in two months, then we can change our tune. Um, oh, 100%. But- if I am wrong about this cost-cutting thing, I will rip Josh Harris until— uh, until he rectifies that. And quite frankly, I'll rip him more because you are making decisions that impact the basketball team. But uh, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think you just like look at the context. I mean, they they have spent a lot in recent years. I mean, they're, you know, they are a tax team. They just spent, what, like $2 million on Charles Bassey, that pick, yeah. which is a lot of money for Charles Bassey, if we're, uh, if we're being honest. 
so, so we'll see. We'll see. I get that the the decision over the salaries last year with the pandemic is on everyone's mind, and it should be. That was a horrific decision. But outside of that, they have committed resources to this team. And uh, like I said, I just I just don't think a ownership group that thought, hey, let's give Maury and Doc Rivers $23 million. Is that going to be like, ah, that Matt Lilly contract? Like it just, uh, I don't think, I, th- I think Josh is smart enough to know that investing in the scouting uh, department will help his bottom line. And if I give Josh one credit, it's that I think he is a businessman. All right, Ben Simmons. He had a, uh, there was a Chris Johnson, his trainer posted a video of him splitting a double team on the perimeter. How many point guards can do that? It was captioned with, he then had a, a video, which included Tyrese Maxey because Tyrese is trained by Chris Johnson as well, where Ben made a couple of jump shots, uh, made a fancy pass and transition. Rich Hoffman, your thoughts. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> And that will conclude our Ben Simmons segment. Yeah, look, I uh, yeah, who who cares? He's still shooting with the same form. He's still making shots shirtless, and a pickup game has never been his problem. Will not uh not convince me much of anything. I do think. Also, by the way, the the one part of the the first video with the uh with the guy going over the screen at the three point line was uh, look, it never happens in a game. It doesn't happen in a. Just, that, that's part of our point. Like, get get someone, anyone, defend him that far from the basket, and it will open up the world to him. All right, I, I'm shot. done. I'm done. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's about all the attention we should give it. But people would have wondered why we didn't bring it up. So there. He made some jump shots in a scrimmage game uh, and only released the videos that we saw. So good on him. I, I, look, he should be working. I'm just, you know, fool me 15 times and shame on me. Anything else? No, no. I think that's uh, that's about it to to wrap up a uh, an action pack week. Sounds good. Thank you for jumping on, Rich, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.